Hello and welcome to Real History, the podcast where we discuss films that have a historical basis, uh, or in today's case, have taken away the historical basis, <laughs> <laughs> and look at the historical content and whether or not it's worth your time on that level. It may be an enjoyable film, but is it in any way at all true to what we as historians know about uh, the history of the period? Uh, my name is Hugh David. I am your co-host and co-producer. With me is... Jenna Pateman, who's just finished uni. Yes, indeed. Um, <laughs> looking to carry on as an academic. Yeah, Possibly. Finished... Yeah. Well, good. our fingers are crossed for you. Thank um, you. So, yeah, pod... so, not just a co-host and co-producer, uh, not just a uh, finishing uh, graduate, undergraduate, but also uh, a member of the British History, sorry, the Historical Association. Association. Yes, um, and part of two different committees for it, and. Um, I actually am doing my big head office first committee tomorrow, so that's even more exciting. Good. Lots of things are happening at the moment. Excellent. Yes, so, indeed. Yes. The study of history never stops because history itself never stops. No. Today. Well, as we can see by recent events, but we're not going into that today. Exactly. Today <laughs> we are talking, of, well, because we are recording this the day after Sir Paul McCartney's birthday, mm-hmm. we decided to watch and discuss the recent movie, Yesterday. Mm-hmm. So. Yesterday. All my troubles seem so far away. Which is <laughs> reputedly one of the most covered songs in the world. So it's one of the reasons. Yeah. Uh, one of the reasons Uncle Macca is as successful as he is. Yes. Um, now, for those who haven't seen the film or missed the trailers or any of the PR about it, um, it is a British rom-com. Mm-hmm. So that's going to turn some people off immediately. <laughs> and it's very is... British rom-com. It's, um... it's it's wonderfully wonderfully British. <laughs> um it's from uh writer uh, Richard Curtis who uh, has a well sorry is let me correct that. It is from two writers are credited, right? Mm-hmm. Uh it is from uh that name right Jack Bath and who wrote the first script and story um then uh, Richard Curtis, who wrote the shooting script, and the director of it is the wonderful Danny Boyle, mm-hmm. who, he, the more I think about it, the more I realise he's one of my favourite directors of all time. Didn't he direct uh, the 2012 Olympics? Yes. Uh, opening he, and closing, wasn't it? He did. Yeah, I have that on Blu-ray because I liked it so much. It's amazing, it's amazing, <laughs> and it says a lot about who he is as a director. Um, yeah, and I it says first... a lot about British culture as well. Yes, yes. Uh, most people uh, outside of England will know Danny Boyle from Trainspotting, mm-hmm. uh, which which blew up his career early on. It was his second film. It was his. It was a collaboration with writer John Hodge, and I have forgotten the name of the producer already, which is terrible of me because the three of them were like a, a team, mm. and it was a team that worked together up until they and 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 they always had Ewan McGregor in their films as well. Yeah. And um, it was a really good team, and then it, the team broke apart when they got into a certain scale of film. Basically, they were going they, they were going to write they are oh, between a life less ordinary in nineteen ninety seven uh, with with Ewan McGregor and Cameron Diaz, which is a blazingly strange film, and I, I have a lot of time for it. I know other people don't. They then went on to adapt The Beach from Alex Garland with oh, right, Leonardo yeah, yeah. DiCaprio. Yeah, Somewhere that. in between that time, there was a falling out between this triumvirate of British talent. Mm. And 
uh, I believe enough of it is now on record that you can research it and find out for yourself why Ooh, these guys fell apart. Find out the tea. Yeah, um, <laughs> Andrew McDonald, that was the producer. Yes. Oh, okay. So, so the three of them. Um, so so something happened, and then since then, they've basically kind of. You know, they've all carried on doing, you know, they're all successful in their own right. Um, and what's interesting is that they got back together again for the Trainspotting sequel. Mm. And I feel like, uh, I, I feel like there's an interesting kind of moment where, because um, Alex Garland is off doing his own stuff now. And I've got, a, I'm a huge fan of Alex Garland. Yeah. Um actually no, sorry, they didn't get uh, my apologies, they got back together earlier than that. They they worked together on trance. Um and they worked together on Yeah. So they they worked you know, they, they were an interesting team. Uh most people have seen my age have seen Shallow Grave and Train Spotting and Life is Ordering. They were a big kind of it was a big kind of look at us, aren't we amazing? It's a British cinema amazing moment. And at the same time they were doing that, t- uh Richard Curtis, T V writer, famous for the Black Adders, Spitting mm-hmm. Image that sort of stuff. He wrote a wonderful comedy film in 1989, which is one of my all-time favourites, called The Tall Guy, not where Jeff that. Goldblum is a struggling actor in London. Oh, okay. It's a rom-com between him and Emma Thompson. Interesting. Oh, you should totally see it. A, is wacky fun, and B, it has the funniest sex scene ever. Okay. It's so funny. It's so silly and so funny and so brilliant. Um, anyway, he went on to write for a number of specials like Hysteria 2, Comic Relief, French and Saunders. He and Rowan Atkinson stayed together, working together. After Blackadder, they worked on Mr. Mm. Bean together. But then he wrote Four Weddings and a Funeral in 1984. So we had, and, and that was a huge hit as well, but that was seen as like the polar opposite. So you yeah. got Danny Boyle doing train spotting, which is grim and you know, weird and fantastical and horrible and everyone's going like, oh my god, British cinema rock and roll, and you get Notting Hill, which is about floppy-haired Hugh Grant and posh people walking around talking about weddings and things. Yes. <laughs> and, and let's be honest, that kind of represented for a while the two extremes of British cinema. Yeah. It's audience. kind of the two extremes of what Britain is. And so here we fast forward to now, and these two guys have come together to make a film. Yeah. And, you know, I, there's controversy online uh, from Bath about how much of his original idea is in the film, whether or not he got paid enough for it. Um, sadly, very typical Hollywood or film business discussions and issues. Mm. I can't comment on those any further than what's already in, what's already been written because you know what when the finished product is pretty I thought it was amazing I had a really really good time with it maybe it's because I've had a, a tough week and I needed something light yeah but I thought I thought this was wonderful um I don't like love actually I saw oh, for I like of... love actually there you go I know it's I know it's really problematic in parts but I think I saw it at that sort of age where I was like, oh, it's so romantic. Well, yeah, but this is the, <laughs> well, yeah, no, but I, I mean, Four Weddings and a Funeral is the reason I love Kristen Scott Thomas. Mm. You know, I, I, a lot of that film, I laughed a lot in the cinema, but I did feel a lot of that film was quite like, yeah, whatever, except for her arc, mm. because there's something about the whole, the, the, for me, what's really romantic is the whole, you know, longing but can't have. Mm. I find that there's something horribly romantic about someone 
wasting their life in 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 the hopes that the friend is the best friend will realize that they want more. Mm-hmm. And I also think that's very English. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to stand around and, pretend, and not actually say to you, hello, me. <laughs> and I think Curtis nails that very well. And that's an essential part of this film. Um, I didn't see The Boat That Rocked, which he did, which is also about 60s rock and roll. Yeah, it wasn't that about pirate the... radio. Yeah, I was going to say pirate radio. Mm. And and he was um, he has a credit a story by credit on Mamma Mia Here We Go Again which connects nicely to where we are now because that film uh, which by the way I absolutely love as well and I shouldn't admit it in, on on a Bunkerzilla distributed podcast but to hell with our editors and. and <laughs> Um, By the way, you can read Andrew's reviews on a lot of these. Yeah, Andrew's and Andrew's uh, uh, decimation <laughs> of these films um, online. Uh, but Lily James, who's the star of uh, one of the stars of Mamma Mia, here we go again, is is in this as well. Yeah, and I still need to see uh, Here I Go Again. So, oh, it's so good. I've seen uh, the original Mamma Mia. Yeah. Me and Jack I, went to see it in the cinema and we were probably the youngest in that. Did, did, he, <laughs> oh, I, I did, did, did you both like it? Yeah. See, I like the original, although I didn't think it was great. But I think the, I think the sequel's so much better. We were just mostly laughing over uh, Pierce Brosnan trying to Oh, he's to awful. Awful. <laughs> the thing about the sequel is, mm-hmm. A, most of it is based around my favourite album, which is Arrival. Oh, okay. So there's that. So this it opens with the opening song from that, which is one of my fa- all-time favorite songs, and it closes with the opening with the with the closing track. So there's that. But mm. also, um, I think it's more of a proper musical. Like you can see the dance sequences clearly. Yeah. Um. So anyway, and I, I will also say think... I liked Mamma Mia before. Oh, I'm going to sound so hipster. Before it was a film, because yeah. I went to see it um, as a musical with my mum, so. Mm-hmm. Mm. Which is cool. Mm. Yeah, there was a no. woman that would not stop singing behind us. Well, to be fair, uh, the only reason I watched the films was because, A, my mum loves them, and my, it turns out my older nephew quite likes them. Mm. And I was like, and we didn't have. I didn't really feel like anything else to watch. That when I stayed, when we were all over staying over there, this is age before lockdown. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I spend all this time being rude about them. I should actually give them a go because I, I, I like the rest of the family. I, I we grew up on Abba. I love Abba. Mm. And <laughs> I surprised my mum was absolutely shocked because I knew every word to every single <laughs> song across both films. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, but of course I do, Mark. You know, I I ruined your original vinyl records with these by playing them all the time, <laughs> scratch them to heck, and 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 you know I've bought I've owned them on I've owned them on cassette now I've owned them on vinyl cassette CD and then the reissued CD set, mm. which I now have MP3s from. So, you know, it's been around me all my life, even when I was some, long before I became a heavy metal teenager and then came out the other side. You know, <laughs> <coughs> so anyway, um. So yesterday sort of kind of falls in a similar uh, uh, place in terms of being a rom-com, in terms of being a, mu- a sort of semi-musical because it's based around Beatles songs and the, mm-hmm. and the emotions and they kind of it all kind of connects. But it has, for me, it has something 
extra. And this is the reason we're discussing this on Real History. It's not just... Because yeah. being Sir Paul's birthday, we could have done any of the original Beatles films because those are arguably historical artefacts now. Yeah, they're primary sources. Yes. But actually, I think what... I wanted to see something recent, but I wanted to see something that reflects on the nature of the history of the Beatles. Mm. And the thing about yesterday is it posits a world in which the Beatles have been forgotten. Yeah. Now, this is interesting because those of us who are used to time travel, fiction, and uh, alternative universe sci-fi and fantasy are quite used and video games for that matter comic mm. books we're all, we're quite used to the idea of saying what if what if is a really fun phrase yeah but the thing is that a lot of people don't realize there is an aspect of historiography that is actually quite seriously about this and it's called counterfactual history mm. now there are there are people who argue against it more very recently for example in the guardian in 2014 there was a big um screed against whether about about it having any value uh from um <coughs> his uh, historian richard j evans um but then you know you also have other historians for whom it's considered who you say how useful it, the notion has been what do we mean by counterfactual history because it's slightly different from straightforward alternative universe stuff mm it is the idea that we are going to take a, pe- a moment in history and we are going to examine the history around that moment and and look at whether or not we can learn anything by tweaking the events one way or another. I think one of the most ex- famous sort of examples of this that people like to discuss of what if you went back in time and killed baby Hitler? Yeah. What would have changed? Yeah. So, and 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 yeah. of course that begs all sorts of questions because given the amount of other people involved in the creation of the Nazi Party, mm. without him as a charismatic leader, would they have found someone else? Yeah, would they have proceeded to function, or would there have been like a number of rebellion, rebellious political groups under Weimar, and simply found themselves squashed? Yeah, a different group could have come up during the time. Exactly. All kinds of possibilities. Now, the thing about doing this from a historical angle is it's to, we're doing it to consider the reality. Mm. Rather than get lost in the fiction, what we're really trying to do here is look at a specific thing. So the first time I came across counterfactual, counterfactual history was at school. Because mm. for our baccalaureate, we had to, uh, one of our history teachers asked us to do a debate on... Because he wanted us to think carefully about the history itself, and he wanted to say, was there any point in the run-up to the start of World War Two when something could have been done to prevent the outbreak of war? Mm. And everyone of us in the class thought this was ridiculous. We're like, it happened. Why are we arguing about, you know, Look at what happened. Look at the way it happened. It's a, it's a game. It's dominoes. Mm. <clears throat> so none of us did any proper work. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so we went into class, right, and we all sat there and basically said the same thing. Like, 
off the cuff, and he, he was really exasperated at Michael Rowe, the teacher, because he was just like he's very he's this Englishman with a very bushy beard, and he was obsessed with navy ships, <laughs> and he he said he he got very frustrated after all. He says you're all arguing the same thing. He said you're all basically going with a Marxist interpretation of history that says it's inevitable. He says, but this removes the idea of free will. He got very philosophical for a moment, mm. and he said he said. He said he said, we, we don't run on train tracks. And so there was one girl in the class, Charlotte, who was half French, half English. And she was a very quiet girl who used to be incredibly studious. So, of course, she was an A student. Hmm. And she hadn't said anything this point because she never did say much. And eventually he said, Charlotte, what do you think? And she pulled out this three pages of A4. <laughs> And she'd basically written and researched a full essay on this, and she started to read it, and she just made the rest of us look so stupid. And she was like, there are three points in the run-up to World War II where it is possible that some action may have suggested to Hitler that it was not worth his time to push forward with Blitzkrieg. And she started to go through them one by one. One of her suggestions, for example, was that um, uh, uh, was the idea that... Um, when he was making moves on Austria, was that Chamberlain should have parachuted troops into Austria to support it and to make it clear that they weren't going to tolerate any invasion of borders, even on a, mm. pre- a trumped-up pretext. Because her point was that, well, that Germany was not yet ready at that point for a greater conflict. Yeah. And by standing up to him on the public stage, they could make it clear that even if he did want a war, he would have to actually be ready for a full war, and he wasn't ready for it then. I mean, that's the kind of argument... I mean, that's proper history work there. You know, you'd have loved that's it. That's impressive. <laughs> it was. It was. I mean, for 17-year-olds, 17, 18, that was so... It taught me a real lesson, by the and way. And what about, about access how... to the internet as well? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. She did that through the library. <laughs> Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I is... couldn't imagine doing my degree without the internet. Yeah, so there's a counterfactual for you. <laughs> oh no! Do not take away my precious internet. For um, one, for one thing, I wouldn't be with my husband. Well, yes. If you wouldn't um, exist. So... So I think, so so, the, so my point is that there is historical value to it because she, it, it forces you to look at the details of the situation and consider the human response at the time. Yeah. You could argue that it would have been out of character for Chamberlain to do that, but actually her point is not about character. Her point is about the politics and the decisions and the fact that there was a rational, reasonable response that involved measured uh, show of force because that yeah. was the thing that he understood and it was obviously the, he, he didn't do that and we know why he didn't do that but mm. it's interesting to consider that an action like that might have at least delayed the war if not saved prevented him yeah. anyway i would my first kind of interaction that i can remember with this sort of history is actually at the millennium dome mm-hmm because uh, I went to see uh, Blackadder back and forth. Which I think was written by Richard Curtis. Oh, was it? <laughs> I think. I'll check. But I think it was, yeah. Yeah, um, because it was a special recorded... Yes, it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. There you go, bringing it back to the film. Brilliant. Well done. Keep going. Um, and it was basically um, Black Ad- the, the modern day Blackadder accidentally going back and forth in time. Yes. And my one mem- my biggest memory of it is him pu- punching um 
Shakespeare and then accidentally leaving him with a biro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that's what most the silly time traveling fun like. I think they've done it in The Simpsons as well, where Homer accidentally travels back to the prehistoric time and steps on the butterfly, and then everything's changed. And yeah, it's I think it, 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 it's a it, it, it's a trope. It is a trope, and it, it's just let's have some fun. <laughs> well, the, and this is the thing. So with yesterday, I feel like everybody goes in thinking this is going to be simply fun. Mm. Or they go in thinking, oh, this is going to be counterfactual history. What would a world be like without the Beatles? And the film does neither. Yeah. The film is a rom-com first. And I think that's actually really important because, as Danny Boyle says in the extras, the essential message of the Beatles songs is all you need is love. Mm. And it's about love. And it's about the value and importance of love. And Octopus's Gardens. Well, okay. There, there's place for octopi as well. Um, <laughs> the the thing is that I, what I found interesting was the idea that if you take out, they didn't go all the way with the counterfactual element, so they took out took it out and they took out a number of other things. Mm. So just and and here's the thing: Richard Curtis has form on time travel stuff. Yeah, because he wrote about time, but he's he's also written he he wrote the Doctor Who comic relief in the mid-90s that had Rowan Atkinson in it, and he wrote of course what is now one of the greatest episodes of Doctor Who ever, which is um, The Doctor and Vincent. <gasps> he wrote that one? Yes. <laughs> and in some ways, this is that in me... the same... That, that made me cry. I know. It's an absolutely brilliant piece of work and it and, and it will... It always, always makes me cry. Um, I... And I think... This is, um, I feel like this is, this, you know, this version of it, I don't, you know, Jack Bath's version would have been quite different. This version feels almost like the, um, what would have happened if Curtis did another Doctor Who episode. Mm. Right? So, because, because here's the thing, the one single thing I don't like about this film. I can't believe that is one thing, but that's probably why I think it's perfect because there's still something wrong with it. <laughs> is that, and this is a huge spoiler, people. Spoiler, spoiler warning. Beep, meep, meep. Spoiler warning. Sorry. Do we need a spoiler warning on a history podcast? Uh, you, I'm spoiler warning the film, not history itself. Uh, I know, but still. <laughs> okay. Um, is the fact that they never at the end of the, f- the film does not end with any explanation as to what how, what how and why this change in history has come about. No, it, it's just like okay, yeah. it happened. And I feel like if this was a Doctor Who episode, that would have been the third act. Mm. Yeah, if you think of it in American structures of three acts, we would yeah. have had Act One. Guy wakes up, discovers world is different. We would have had the bit with. Um, we would have had exactly the bit at the beginning where everything goes dark, mm. right? And then I would. would the ha- thing is, if everything had gone dark and I was cycling down an Essex road, I just thought it was Essex. Yeah, yeah, that stuff like that happens in Essex. <laughs> that's the other thing. I like. okay, so that's the other thing I like about. It, but I'll come back to that in a minute. Um, <laughs> so, so, so you know, and and then after that, when everything's gone strange and this guy's become successful, do- the Doctor and his companions would turn up and go, "Oi, what's going on?" Yeah. 
and then they'd figure it out. That's what it felt like was mm. the bit that's missing. Now, I think the film is an older person's film, even though mm. it's about young people, because the really important message in it is about making, don't give in to the money and the cash and the fame even though that seems like it's fun and what you want when you're young, look for the yeah. things that last more. Look mm. at what's around you. Now, that's fine. We've heard that message before. A lot. We're used to it. Yeah. But how does that connect to history and the Beatles? So if you take out the Beatles, you inevitably take out a number of things that are influenced by them, which, funnily enough, they left in the film. Like, they yeah. take out Oasis, which is just one big joke. I that but I they think that was pulp my and... problem with it is that I was like my brain just kept thinking well how much stuff would have actually been changed like exactly the pop pop music would be completely different like I agree. which would which would have been the bands would that would have taken over would it have been something like the Rolling Stones well the Stones Beach are still Boys? there in the film yeah so no, I know but at the same time would they have a different trajectory because the Beatles weren't there. Well, this is where this is the thing, right? The film. This is what I mean about it being like a Doctor Who episode because it doesn't. There's clearly stuff happening and there's no explanation for it because the film's not interested in it. Yeah. But and I agree with you. I think I think it's a bad example of counterfactual history because mm. it doesn't explore fully the idea of what the world is like when you ex- remove this particular. Uh, set of events and interferences and, and motivators, you know? Mm. It's it's bad counterfactual history. They In the end, it has a very, very simple message. You know, these songs are so important to so many people, they're better off in the world than not. Yeah, which, which is I can fine. agree with. Yes, we can all agree with it. Um, but if it, was counter, if it was going to do counterfactual history more interestingly, I think it would have been... Yeah, I think you're right. I think it would have gone deeper. It would have. Been, they keep saying it's not just the Beatles that go missing. He keeps finding things that aren't there. Mm. So Coca Cola's not there. Cigarettes. Cigarettes aren't there. Harry Potter. That's the best joke at the end. Um, <laughs> Which is but... really topical right now. <laughs> I was about to say I can see a lot of people right now interpreting that end in a positive way. <laughs> As a um, person that has a Harry Potter tattoo, um... <laughs> the, the, there's a really funny alternate ending in the film where yeah. she's standing at the at the window, and she says the line, and he goes, "Who?" And she <gasps> that goes, "You know, been amazing." And she goes, "You know, Harry Potter." And he goes, "Nah." And then you turn, you look at the look on her face, and then you see her. She goes. That's okay. And you're like, oh, she's gonna do it. It's a, um, yeah. That, that apparently Susan Silverman gave them that joke. Yeah, which is cool. Um, so yeah, none of these things, none of the consequences are examined in quite the same way, other than the idea that people have never heard these songs, never been affected by them, never been moved by them. Yeah, it felt like that they took out Oasis because they said the Beatles were a direct influence. It's a joke. Yeah, it's basically saying it's it's kind of rude. It's a rude joke in some ways because it's the Gallagher's because it's basically saying, "Ha, hey, you don't exist without them," which mm. I think is a little unfair. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the, I think it's also ironic that Coldplay and Ed Sheeran still exist in this. Yeah, <laughs> especially Ed Sheeran, who's just about. <laughs> 
Well, apparently he and Curtis are friends, and apparently a lot of the Curtis's version of the story is based around Sheeran's own life. Oh, okay. Sheeran was saying that this is pretty much his story mm. with his wife and with his partner, rather, and you know but his he agent's very to different. Go back but... to teaching. <laughs> well, you can see why I love this film. <laughs> Right, because it's yes. got school teachers who want to do more than being teachers, and it's got a, a lead who is a young Indian male in Britain, who, by the way, has got the coolest parents. <laughs> Even though they're completely uncool as characters, he's got the coolest actors as parents <laughs> because he's got Mira Sayal and Sanjeev Bhaskar. Yes. It's like Sanjeev is so oh, funny. What was it the show that they used to do? The good, to... Goodness gracious me! Yes, I used to watch that, and. Um... I still remember the sketch about them going to a pub and going, chips, chips, chips. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, how yeah, people the... do pop Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's genius. It's genius. You know, we want 12 bread rolls. I think that might be too much. <laughs> hey, who asked you? <laughs> um, it's a yeah, genius sketch. Um, the, yeah, they're great in it. And, 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 mm. and, and as you say, the whole thing's based around Suffolk, even though it flies off to Moscow and goes off to LA. And Essex. And yeah, and and, and it's just, it opens it, in Clacton on Sea. What? I, right. It's I was like, like, why are we? <laughs> no, but isn't that cool? The, the, like, like that's one of the things I miss. You and I have been doing so many American films. It's like it's nice to see a film set somewhere we actually know. I, I in a I, world I, we know with people doing things we do. Yeah, I actually showed Jack the opening, and he went, "Wait a minute, I recognise that's yeah. Clacton." Exactly. Um, <laughs> That so, means we've had two films that open in Clapton now. What was the other one? Kinky Boots. Oh, yes. Well, to be fair, aren't both produced by the same company, Working Title? They're probably like, oh, yeah, we know where we can go for this. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, so coming back to the counterfactual bit, the history bit, I think it's kind of... It made me think a lot about life, life choices, mm. why we do things, what the business is about. But it also made me think about the idea that, you know, because the, 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 I quite like the idea that the world isn't so completely ruptured by the absence of this one band's music. Mm. I think that's quite, kind of slightly more realistic in some ways because it's basically saying, look, this is important to some people. It's influential to some people. And it's not actually maybe as important as people realise because there's a lot of people who didn't know the music. You know, it's a bit. It's it's if you step outside the media bubble, and if you step outside the world of radio, there's a lot of people who didn't like them. There's a lot of people who didn't yeah. like the music that came with them. But also, they were internationally famous early in an earlier era, way before the internet. But you know, they they had a strong connection to India. They went there. They visited there. They came back and brought a lot of ideas from there to England. Mm. Um, they were fashionable. They were fa- the, 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 that was an important aspect as well. So, and I and, and when you sorry they are handsome yes and i think it's interesting that when you look at the kind of because because there are days that as i get older i feel like you see certain influences recede really far back into the past Mm. and there's a lot of stuff around in britain today which in the world that yesterday itself is set where you look at it it almost feels sometimes like this time period didn't happen and considering the kind of government we've got now, I almost feel like there's also people who don't want it, who want to get rid of it and push it all under the the world yeah. that that the the cultural 
world that was brought in by this explosion of rock and roll yeah. and 60s sort of counterculture and all that thinking. Is, there's such a huge, strong narrative trying to push all that away right now. Yeah. And what came with it, the the the, the way the what the things that happened that helped push feminism forward, or the things that happened that helped, you know, chip away at racism and as an edifice, you know. Mm. Um, I feel allowed, like um, the gay movement to take hold. Right, and and I feel like while they didn't go that far because they could have, it's a Danny Boyle film. I kind of wondered if he would have gone that far. There's a lot of like clever casting ideas and little things here and there where mm. you're kind of like, "What? This is the England now, but this is a little bit like a world without the Beatles sometimes." Mm. And what's going to happen when we do get to that point? Because there are some people out there who never listen to their music, who've never heard their music, who've grown up entirely without it. Where does that leave us? What does that mean? And and, and yeah, it does. Maybe in the end, its strongest. Its most important strength as a counterfactual mm. is this idea of looking at the world you and I live in now, which is now so many years on past the heyday of the Beatles, mm. and saying, well, you know. And considering how... we only have two left as well. Well, yes, exactly. How different would it really be if we. If we, if we, you take them out. Um, but also, it's just nice to have a feel-good film for a bit. Yeah. It's a After the week film. we've both had. <laughs> yes. Yes. And also a rom-com in which I never thought I would live to see the day in which we have a Brit- a very British rom-com in which the lead is no longer a floppy-haired public school pot type, mm. but it's Himesh Patel, who you and I saw in The Aeronauts. Mm-hmm. And he, I love him in it, and maybe it's just me, but I thought he was great. He was adorable. Yes. I was like, yes, oh, you're, was. you're so sweet. I love you. Yes. And I can see, like, the anxiety coming off him the entire yes. time. Yes. Because it's like, oh, I'm going to be caught, I'm going to be caught, I'm going to be caught. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's like, it's that thing about what, how far do you go when you're young for the things you want. Mm. And... How far, at what point are you willing to stop and be honest with yourself? Mm. Um, he was great, and apparently, according to the extras, whenever you see him singing and playing, mm. it's really him. Oh, that's awesome! They didn't overdub it, they they went and cast somebody who had some music, sufficient musical ability to be able to carry off the scenes because they didn't want Danny Boyle says, says you know, it's traditional in filmmaking to overdub it later. He says, I felt like if we did that, he says, we would have lost the intensity of the performances of the other people in the scene. Yeah, I feel like since Lemis it's become more fashionable to do it on set. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's been coming a while as we've got you know what it is? We finally have performers again who can do more than one thing. Triple threats. Yeah, yeah, because back in the day, you know, you like in the heyday of musicals, it's like you had to act, you had to sing, you had to dance, mm. you had to do, you know, you had to do it all in, in crazy costumes. Yeah. Uh, whereas, and then it became like this point where it's like, you've got to be able to act, method acting, you know. Mm. And now I feel like we're coming back out the other side and you have people who can do a bit of everything and do it well. Um, and, but the other thing is, I love the fact that, yes, he's a dog. But he, it also says a lot of, there's, there's something for me really accurate about the uh, English 
the relationships. There's things that his best friends are terribly rude to him about, mm. which he just takes on the nose, but but which you can see are really eating away at him inside. Yeah. And I remember some of those things because they're things that where they're uh, they're not intentionally aimed at him in terms of race. They're just aimed at him in terms of person. But it's easy to feel that it's race because you are the only person there looking like that. Because mm. they make the you know when they make jokes about you know him being. It's not, it's not, you know when he so after his accident and his his face is all mashed up and he's broken tooth. Yeah. You know, and they're making jokes about his looks and all the rest of it, and and and, and how he wasn't that great anyway, kind of thing. And it's like, okay, and you wonder why he's got no confidence to recognise that there is a girl, or a woman right next to him who adores him. Mm. You know, that seems perfectly sensible to me, and especially, oh god, the parents, oh god, <laughs> to uh, I can't wait for my mum to see this film. I really from um, what I've heard about your mum and and your dad, they sound awesome. So <laughs> yeah, well, let's just say that over the years, whenever my my mum and I do think that Mira Sayal should have play, should play her in a in in her <laughs> film of her life kind of thing. So, um, but no, I just I can't believe I finally reached the point. Once upon a time, it seemed like a counterfactual era in which there would be a rom com, British a British rom com with a British Asian lead. But here we are. Well, technically, you've had, uh, you've had, uh, there was Bend It Like Beckham. Yes. Oh, yes. No, absolutely. I'm a big fan of that. And I did, we did a, the, the other podcast I run, Hustlers of Culture, we did an episode on that. First, uh, second episode of this year was, of 2020 was on that. Love that movie. Mm. First time I ever saw things from my own life on screen. Mm. Um, as in specifically mine. As opposed to generically, mm. um, this is the next one, the next big one on for me. Yeah, this is the one where I go, I'm him, he's me. You know, the part time job while you're trying to figure out what you want to do that's creative with me, it was wanting to be a writer, mm. and and then oh, let's go teach, and then he's like, <laughs> and then he's like, you know, and then that's me, and then the him at the end as the teacher. Mm. Yeah, but also the scene with when when he comes and knocks on her window in the middle of a class, and all the attends are like, <laughs> "Is that your boyfriend, Miss?" Oh, <laughs> like that's just realistic. Lowestoft Academy, I salute you, children and teachers. Well done for being part of this. Um, but that, yeah, the, from my secondary school days, yeah, if something like that had happened, we would have been all like. Ooh. Yeah, it doesn't change. That hasn't changed after, after all British these years. Secondary school culture. <laughs> it's English school culture. It's just how it is. Yeah. Um, uh, I think as soon as we can take the mick out of the teachers, we are going yeah. to. <laughs> oh, there's a great there's a deleted scene where because so you know she's got a housemate who's also a school teacher, right? Yeah. So in this there's there's two or three deleted scenes where there's more of the pair of them in their life mm. particularly when she starts dating the sound engineer guy Gavin Gavin and you <laughs> and so you you see more of that side of their life in contrast to his life in LA mm. and um there is one scene from earlier in the film where she's she and her where she they're late to school 
and she they she's she's parking the car really fast and trying not to hit kids as they drive it. And she and her friend are pulling everything out of the boot, and they start running, you know, in, in, uh, through, into the car park. And this one kid comes running past them and going, "You're late, miss." And she he goes, "She goes, yeah, but so are you." And he, he says, "I'm in front of you," and then he runs <laughs> past them. Right? As long as you get to the class before the teacher, you're exactly, not late. Exactly right. And then he gets through the door and closes it behind him, so they. <laughs> And they've got their arms full. And as they're charging along the corridor, she passes the head of department. And she says, I'm sorry. She says, this really won't happen again the rest of my career. I promise. And then she charges to her classroom and as she pushes it open. There's all the kids and they're all standing on chairs and messing around. All her former mm-hmm. doing everything they shouldn't be. And she's like, right, you horrible lot. And they're like, this is finally here. <laughs> I was just like, this is just too realistic. This is literally what it's like. Um, but... Coming, you know, coming back to the the history side of it. So, yes. if you take the Beatles out, is the, how different is the world really? In some ways, there's the weird. I just think it's weirdly interesting that I think some of the things I think the world would be like without the Beatles are how we actually are now. <laughs> and I feel like the film captures that. And then there are other ways in which it would clearly be very, very different. And yeah. I feel like the film doesn't engage with that as much as it needs to or wants to. But that's because it's not a history film. No. In that it's, sense. It's a rom-com with a silly premise, basically. When, as I think as a historian watching it, I was like, I, I want to know more about, more details, please. Give me more details. But yeah. it doesn't want to do that. And... Yeah. We should kind of respect it for it. So, yeah, I it did. I mean, have to give us all the details. It's just no, and I like the idea that he's. It turns out he's not the only one who's, who remembers them. Yeah, and I like uh, how they're setting those two characters up. Like, oh no, they're going to call him out, kind yes. of thing. And then it's yes. like, no, we're just really happy you're bringing this music. <laughs> yeah, because we thought we were the only ones. Yeah. and we were nuts. And Could I, you and imagine I love... like having "I Want to Hold Your Hand" stuck in your head? And yeah. not being able to listen to it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And oh. how does that change you and the world? You know? I mean, when he's trying to work out Eleanor... Oh, God. One of the loveliest things in the film is the way Danny Boyle puts video element, visual elements to trying to work out the lyrics to Eleanor Rigby. Yeah. It's genius. I love those scenes where he's like trying to remember the lyrics. But and that's the other thing I think from a historical point of view is is it's a really good reminder of how difficult great art is mm. to create. It's not always as easy as it seems or sounds like. Hey dude. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that entire scene is a perfect reflection of it. When Ed Sheeran is like, you know, how do you work this out and he's like how do you get your inspiration and he clearly hasn't got any <laughs> yeah you know Himesh's character has clearly not got any and you can uh, see uh, Jack, Rocky his friend just going I recognise none of this <laughs> yeah 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 you can see Rocky going Rocky is like you clearly don't know what's going on you're, you're blagging it mate <laughs> yeah and the thing is I would say Hey Jude is almost like a one of those national songs Yes, it is now, yeah. Yeah, because it's one of those ones that you'll play at a stadium and you'll have everyone singing along. Yes. Um, like, also... Um, oh, what's the song by The Killers? Um, Mr. Bright Outside. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everyone knows it. Everyone knows how to sing it. Yeah. Like, 
I'm not even uh, that later period of the Beatles is not my personal favorite period of their mm. work, but uh, several years ago when they were when BBC Red Button was playing one of I can't remember which festival and Macca was finishing off, you know, mm. it may have been Glastonbury, I don't know, and he was finishing off and he's doing Hey Jude, you know, because he always ends it. Yeah, hey Jude because everyone it. can sing it. <laughs> yeah, and the whole crowd in the rain, in the darkness. Nah, 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 nah. It's so great. <laughs> and, and, and like trying to imagine a world without that, that really hurts. And it, it's one of those songs you just imagine standing next to your friends, putting your arms around them and just swaying and just having a good time. And that's the other thing that the film reminded me about, it, given we're all in lockdown. Yeah. It reminded me of the little things that we can't do at the moment. I miss it. I miss, I don't drink and I miss the pub. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, the bit where the, the like being in the cafe and somebody you know comes crashing through the door yeah. or having to run down the street because you're late for something or just the bit where they're because in the recording studio that turns out to be next to the train line. <laughs> Uh, Which I thought was really funny. Right, I will say, as someone that commuted on that train line, it's a yes. good train line to have it on because there's only like two trains an hour. Oh, is that why he can get away with it? Right, yeah. but yeah, that's clever. clever. Because if it, where I think he would have been, mm. um, there's only one train going from and going out, basically. Oh, yeah. That so, explains that. So yeah. it's not completely unreasonable for him to have the studio there. No. Right, I get it. Okay. As you get closer to Colchester... Yeah, it gets a bit worse, but um, down by uh, so Lowestoft and Clapton itself, there is only one train going in and out, and right. it, for Clapton's train station, it's huge. It's actually bigger than Cheltenham's. Oh wow! Because uh, it's it's an old seaside town, so they right. used to have so many trains coming in and out, and then it just has on the signpost uh, the timetable. It's just. Train at 11.23 is the train to London Liverpool Street. 12.23, London Liverpool Street. And that's right. it. Yeah. So, yeah. How yeah. times have changed. Mm. I mean, you know, we, the other histo- side of it I found interesting from a historical point of view, there's two quite clever things, I thought. One is the way they mimic moments from the Beatles' own history. Mm-hmm. So, like the, the first time, the girls going crazy and chasing him. Yeah, straight out of a hard day's night. So mm. well done. So funny. Really enjoyed it. Um, I love that they the score. Daniel Pemberton's score is so good because he keeps weaving in little bits, little fragments, and phrases of relevant Beatles tracks. Mm. To support the emotion at the moment. Yeah. And so there's really a point in the film where you are completely away from a Beatles track. And I also have to give credit to Ed Sheeran for being brave enough to have his own songs feature in a film. (laughs) Where he has to be compared to Beatles. (laughs) Well, it's just the look on his face when he... (laughs) He come. Oh, what was the song he came out with after? Um... Oh, Penguins, the one after the ten-minute competition. Yeah. Yeah, it's Penguins. It's called. Yeah. What's the song that? Um... Oh, Patel. Oh, the long and winding road. Yeah. Jack does. Yeah. Yeah, and he's just like, don't vote, don't. Vote. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> well, he, he, he was in the extras. Sheeran was saying that it took him a lot longer than ten minutes to write it. that. The song he said that was a song he had written for a third album and it didn't go on it, so he brought it out for the film. And he said it took him half an hour to write that. He said, he said, there's no way you're doing Long and Winding Road in ten minutes. He says that's just not possible. <laughs> Well, um, I know another song I think he wrote in half an hour was the song he used for The Hobbit 2. Oh, really? Yeah, because he, mm. he, he happened to be in New Zealand. Right. So he went and visited the set of Hobbit, because you would, yes. um, if you can. And he's and... in it, isn't he? No, he's not in it. It's just a song. Oh, okay. I thought, I thought he was in it somewhere. No, he's in a, it his only two credits I know of is this Game film of Thrones. and Game of Thrones, where it's yeah. just like... What? Why yeah, are you was, here? It was a bit odd when he turned up in that, wasn't it's like, it? Oh, and it gets confirmed that he get he got killed off screen. Something yes. like that in the 80s. Can I, can I just finish? Given yeah, that sorry. We're, we're com- no, 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 no. I just suddenly realised we're coming to the end of this and I really want to just give a big up to the cast. Mm. Just because I thought they were great and it's so nice to see a film in which... Mira Sayal and Sanjeev Bhaskar and Himesh Patel uh, and Joel Fry are all playing roles where race is not called into question or made an issue. Mm. They just are. Like, there's never a point where anyone goes, yeah, there's no way that, you know, the women who fancy Patel are going to fancy him because he's Indian. You know, there's none of that kind of rubbish. Yeah. It's just like, and also there's no question about him being able to sing or play a guitar. So, so I went to a gig last year. I'm actually wearing the shirt from it oh. uh, for my, one of my favourite singers of all time, Heather Nova. And the the opening act was a young Indian guy who now lives in England, who actually I think lives out in Suffolk. I could, <laughs> weirdly, Suffolk Soham. seems to be the place. <laughs> Yeah, he's called Soham. I think Ed Sheeran so- is actually from Suffolk as well. Oh, he is. No, no, he is. He, yeah. lives, he lives down the road from Richard Curtis. So, mm. so Soham Day is the name of the sing- song, singer-songwriter. Look him up. He's had. Uh, he's done a four-track EP. It's really good. I'm a big fan. Um, he, ten- he opens up on stage, just him and a guitar, and he blows us all away. He's really, really good. I was really impressed. And I go to talk to him afterwards at the when the cold gig is over at the booth and just chat with him. Mm. And I, because he's like, there's him, me and one other guy. We're the only Indians in the whole gig, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm talking to Sam and he's he's 23 and we're just talking about, and I'm like, oh, I'm talking about musical taste and I'm saying, oh, you know, I can really hear a lot of John Martin and British folk singers on what is what you're doing. Mm. A bit of uh, Lindsay Buckingham. He says, oh yeah, he says, I'm a big Fleetwood Mac fan. He says, <laughs> you know, I really like that John, he says, I'm a big John Martin fan. I do like all that stuff. And I'm, and, and then, and while we're doing this, people are coming up to him to get his EP signed, and every single one of them is going, "Yeah, I've never heard an Indian guy sing like that. That's really good. Never heard an Indian guy do folk music. That's really interesting, you know." And I just like he and I just keep looking at each other, like, "Yeah, all right, lads, keep it, <laughs> keep it coming with the compliments that don't really compliment." Um, I guess they're trying. <laughs> they that's that was the whole thing, and and the thing is, this film is exactly is Soham's experience in some ways, except that they're not questioning him, and mm. I love that they're not questioning him. Mm. I love that they're not questioning him. They're going, "You want to make music? This is the music you want to make. You go ahead." Yeah, he didn't have to make Bollywood stuff. <laughs> yeah, precisely. And I think, and and that again is something I really really loved about the film. Um, 
yeah. Uh, and it just... We haven't even talked about Lily James, Kate McKinnon. Kate McKinnon's amazing in everything she does. Mm. Um, apparently, the rumour is she based that agent on her own agent. <laughs> which is quite nasty. But Richard Curtis said he had great fun writing those scenes because he said he hasn't been that nasty since Blackadder. Because <laughs> she says some truly horrible things. Yes. <laughs> I love it so much. The thing is, as someone who's in the media, I'm just going, yep, yep, this is what it's like. <laughs> yep, yep. Do you want the poison chalice? I'm bringing you money. <laughs> <laughs> the correct answer is Yes. <laughs> Just like, oh, yep. just her face when he basically releases it to Creative Commons. Oh, so brilliant! <laughs> so brilliant. The way she, the way she, the, the way she starts, the way she's just so rude about everything when she's in England. Yeah, like, I do. I, I did love the fact that that is basically what he does with the music because he's like, I didn't write this. So have it. So have it. It's Creative Commons now, and it's like yeah. that's unlike amazing. the actual Beatles licenses from Apple Music. Uh, yeah, <laughs> which were belonging to Michael Jackson at one point. Yes, because there's a took... lot of art. Yeah, there's <laughs> a lot took, of ironies um... built into this, you know. Yeah, because um, Michael Jackson took Paul McCartney's advice of buying other people's music and, and bought his. <laughs> and bought his. Yeah, yeah, I remember when that happened. That was after they did, um, what was the name of the duet they did together? Oh, it wasn't, anyway, it yeah. wasn't black and white. That's a completely different song. Yeah, it was when I was at school, yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and I just want Ivory, to say... Ivory, is it? Yeah, Ebony and Ivory. That's it? it. Is that it? Is it? I, I don't, don't know. know. It, I, I'm Listeners, email us to tell us what this music is. <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah, I think I think anybody who hasn't seen this, I think if you want something that is a well-made rel- fairly smart rom-com but which considers which is built on a particular historical counterfactual that it then doesn't really explore because it's more interested in the personal. Yeah. This is a good film. Maybe you could just imagine Doctor Who going on in the background. Well, I kind of did because then <laughs> we would have had a, had a resolution to the historical side. Yeah. And one of I will these say days that you... is uh, other alternate history is stuff like Doctor Who and uh... oh, it, it, it Doctor Who origi- it was built into its remit because when it was created, it was originally created as a a kids show that was be both entertaining and educational. Yeah. So the idea was that ending up in the historical periods would allow you to create historical dramas. You know, for for most of the earlier seasons, the very very early seasons of Doctor Who in the sixties, the 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 historicals were not sci-fi. They were historicals. You turned up in a historical period and, and and the adventure happens because of the people at the time. Yeah. Whereas these days, for the last, I don't know how many decades, it's now traditional that in Doctor Who, if you turn up in the past, there's an alien or somewhere, or a robot somewhere, or something else happening. Mm. Um, I will still say, um, because of everything that's been going on, I've been teaching Evie about racism and stuff, and I've done some lessons on Rosa Parks. Mm-hmm. And the Rosa Parks episode... I showed stunning. You- it's stunning. I showed her the the scene of the bus. Yeah, and that helped her understand because in her head she re- when I've been first teaching her this, she doesn't understand racism, which is a lovely thing because mm-hmm. she's just like they just have a different skin color. That's what why yeah. I and although she recognizes that to a two of her godparents, so you and. Desmond, 
have different skin tones, it doesn't matter to her. Mm. So, because mm. I remember, I still remember your happiness when I said to you that when she was describing mm. godparents, she described described eh, described you as the one with the hat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, that's cool. That yeah. I'm down with that. And she has a rad TV shirt. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love all. Well, uh, you know, I I think I think that's really. I think that's. You know, she is. The, you know, it is entire. Evie will be. It's possible that Evie will be like Lily in the film. Yeah. You know, it's not going to be colors. Not going to be what matters. It's going to be about people. I just hope that she's smart enough to not fall into the wrong column for years. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can I just say also, as as a fan of the the Kristen Scott Thomas storyline of Four and a Funeral, this feels to me like Curtis going right. What happens if we give her the lead role, kind of thing? <laughs> um. And and it doesn't. Ha- it, it, it's 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 not like a problem that it's Lily James. I could watch. She's her adorable. Right She's just amazing. I, I I am becoming a huge fan of hers now. She was um, really good in uh, Downton. Sorry. She was really good in her part in Downton. Yeah. No. Well, uh, this is the thing. I mean, yeah. I think all the Downton people are ending up doing really really interesting things. And all of them seem to slowly be appearing in Disney remakes. Yeah, there is that. <laughs> Which is interesting. I'm. I hadn't. I didn't see the War and Peace adaptation she was in. I'd mm. like to see that. And she was okay in Baby Driver, but I think they didn't. I think she, Edgar Wright wasted her a bit. But she's. I thought she was amazing in the Mamma Mia. Here we go again. Mm. And now and yesterday. So I'm gonna have to dig out a couple of other things she's done and see what she see. See her in them. But um. Mm. No, that was just just. There's there's moments of. She's the heart of the film. Yeah. Um, and there's there's moments between them that are so so like things I've been through. It's just horrible. Mm. I was just like, "You idiot, Jack! You idiot!" <laughs> <laughs> and then when things are finally happening and she's really good about it, I was like, "You idiot, Jack!" <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, all right. On that note, since we're anyone who's wondering why we've gone over the hour, it's because we're no longer in a radio program we are a pure podcast we can go a couple of minutes over exactly so (laughs) um so all in all folks uh not an obvious choice for real history we were looking for something to tie in with the great paul mccartney's birthday um i think it's interesting that the film posits a counterfactual it doesn't explore as much as it could but that's fine because it's not meant to be a counterfactual history piece it's meant to be an entertaining rom-com and i think it's really really good that way Hmm. i found it entertaining it, for me, it's it's so pers- It feels so personal because of what it does with Indian actors and 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 modern Britain. Yeah, which is teaching. completely understandable. Yeah, yeah, no, for, yeah, for me, and and because I know the Beatles song so well, because when we left, when I left Britain as a kid and we moved abroad, my or returned to abroad, I should say, my dad is a way of because me and my brother were both very very unhappy at the idea we were leaving England. Uh, at the time because it seemed permanent um, my dad mm. bought me as a present because I was getting into music and records and stuff and my dad bought me a box set of cassettes and it's the complete Beatles career it was all of their albums in a in a fake leather box set that had their signatures in gold on it Ooh. I know it was really nice it was just it was the cassettes and my dad bought it to me and said I think you should start listening to these guys this is mm. you know because my mum and dad loved them and and that sort of stuff so when I we went to Botswana, that's where we moved to, and there was, it was quite, at the time, there wasn't a lot there, like, you, the the only TV you had was from 
piped across from South Africa and the radio was South African. There wasn't there was a little bit of local stuff, not a lot. There was one cinema that just showed old reruns. And it was only when we got a video store that things kind of really perked up. And mm-hmm. so I pretty much spent most of my time listening to cassettes and vinyl that we could get hold of. Mm. And so I looked at these cassettes and being, this is where my, you can tell I was going to become a historian because I looked, I noticed that on the back of each cassette, there was a copyright date. And I was like, oh, wait, these happen. There's an order to this. Mm. So I put them in order and started at the beginning. (laughs) So I I, I discovered the Beatles in the order of their music. So I like, like, like you would have if you were listening to them. Um, I still remember the Beatles rock band game. Oh, that's a good one. And the fact of they went through their time. So you actually started, oh, what was the bar called? Uh, the underground oh, bar. The, uh, the one in uh, Liverpool, the, the cavern. Is it the cavern? I think it's the cavern. Yeah. Um, you start in there and mm-hmm. you slowly sort of work your way up. Mm. Although, unfortunately, it's my singing, so it didn't go very fast. <laughs> so. But, I, think um, it's kind of, I think it's interesting that they musically they one of the things that my film made me consider was the complexity of what they achieved and how they worked their way up from being a skiffle band mm. into a rock band into a stadium band into a studio band yeah and how they gave up touring and just focused on making nothing but music and well, literally went they, all in on the art i remember when them saying at one point that they didn't do stadiums and stuff anymore because they couldn't actually even hear themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were like, I, "We just want to make the music." Yeah. I think that I think that's why a film like this can allow itself to worry only about the the art of it. Mm. Um, because that's ultimately what they were doing was they got focused on the art. Um, and that's what mattered. And that's when Let It Be and yeah, Oxfuss's big... Garden. <laughs> All sorts happens yeah, at that point. Yeah, submarine. <laughs> mm, yeah, which features... I love the way that turns up in this film. Yes. Um, so, on that note, <laughs> we are recommending the film, just mm-hmm. not massively on a history front. 5%? Yeah. Can we eat? Yeah, I guess. Can we even give it any percents given it's a modern day set rom com? I don't know. Well, I, I suppose does... the counterfactual bit with all the weirdness of not having certain things there. And you do see John Lennon. Yeah, that's an interesting counterfactual. Mm. And the fact that he's alive and. Not a singer. No, not a... and he's a fisherman. By the looks of things, he's just a hippie. Painter, yeah. Chilling. <laughs> I yeah, would like to that... know what happened to the other four Beatles. Well, yeah, uh, the exactly. Other... Well, yeah, technically there was four because there is a fifth Beatles one. Yeah, Stu Sutcliffe, yeah. yeah. Speaking uh... of which, we will at some point do an episode because there's a great 90s film about him mm. called Backbeat. Yeah. Which was part of that big flowering of English cinema that Danny Boyle was part of. Mm. Uh, Ian Softley, who directed it, did Hackers and has done all sorts of stuff. But uh, Backbeat's absolutely brilliant film. Um, mm. So we, we, we totally need to do that. Um, Our list is getting longer and longer. Yeah. Well, I think I put it on there anyway. But yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, was, we'll come back to the Beatles when we do something like that. Oh, and, and at some point, we really should look at their actual films. Yeah. But um, but for the moment, folks, yeah, this I, has been real history. I was going to say, let's you... trip out Evie by watching Yellow Submarine. 
hey, well, that's what I loved as a kid. It's one of the best films when you were a kid. <laughs> Seriously, because because it, it, you don't need it doesn't trip you out because it's just a big it's a big colorful cartoon with weird things. It's like everything else on TV. It's brilliant. It's one of the best things. It's only when you're an adult you're like, wait, what the heck was that about? But as a kid, yeah. it's just like this is cool. Like pink elephants on parade and Dumbo. Yeah, just, I love that. When film. you're a kid, you just accept it. So the thing we really need to do is really give it a score because it's been, you know, we've we've discussed it all the way through. We're very mm-hmm. aware that there are things to like about the film as a rom com. Yeah. But as a counterfactual piece of history, we already said it doesn't even bother to tell no. you <laughs> or resolve how it came about. What is the point of divergence? Why? Why? Yeah. Why is this all happening? And why are other things missing? It just, it kind of felt more like a excuse to play some Beatles songs at you. I wonder if this was, I mean, I know we said that this was someone else's script idea that Curtis yeah. then modified, but since the other version didn't have the Beatles in it, I'm wondering if this was a, an idea Curtis had up his sleeve for another Doctor Who episode. Hmm. You know, like his Vince thing where they were like, is it where it was? Sorry, it's Vincent van Gogh episode where he's where they're sort of explaining to Vincent what the future's going to hold, kind of thing, trying to give him some. I know, you love that episode. It's my favorite. Well, it you is. know how much I love van Gogh. Yeah, it's a great episode. I was because um, we were supposed to take a trip to London soon. I was thinking of going to the National Gallery until I found out the sunflowers had been put away, and I was like, Mer. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> Uh, so yeah so I think um, so I can sort of see this as like to me this kind of feels slightly like a thematic sequel to um, to 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 Vincent in some ways and and I feel like it's kind of got that element to it obviously there's no doctor in it you know Um, (laughs) the random doctor who (laughs) well as speaking as a doctor who fan I can kind of see the current doctor turning up in the middle of this one and telling us exactly why it's Sorry? Being in the background doing things. Uh, oh, no, I can imagine her trying to tell, figuring out exactly why it's changed. Mm. She, You know, that would be the answer. But because these are ordinary people, that, I think that's the best way to look at it as a counterfactual. Imagine that these are the people on the other, who we don't normally focus on in a sci-fi story. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. So it doesn't really work as a counterfactual. It has very, very basic arguments as to what the Beatles music does or doesn't do for us in this world. Um, if we take it out, it's all very, very basic. So I don't feel, from a historical point of view, we can give it much of a score. No. So even though it features a recognisable England that we are living through, or have just lived through pre-lockdown. <laughs> yeah, just lived. Yeah, yeah so it's, it's historical. Watch, it's that... <laughs> watching people get to go outside is an amazing thing. Yeah. Like, where are their face masks? Yeah, exactly. It's like, um, you know I watch Casualty. Yes. At the moment, that feels like it is a completely different world right. because they even held a comic con. Right, got yeah. And it was like, do you not have COVID? Yeah, <laughs> Just... <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is the problem with shooting early, isn't it? In the head. Well, no. Apparently, they're shooting the episodes now, but they're just really. Chosen... It's they've chosen to ignore it because it's kind of like it's too on the nose kind right. of thing, mm-hmm. but. At the same time, I did say to like a couple of friends that casualty should just be the staff staring at you saying, stay at home. Well, <laughs> it would be one way of doing it, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so what do we think? 10%? Yeah. If that. <laughs> it's 
Is there a loan? How about 4%? Because there's four Beatles. <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to think of a number that we could tie into the Beatles some way. Uh, 99. Uh, revolution number 9. Number oh, nine, God. Number, number nine. 9. Yeah, so 9%. I, I, the only way I've actually heard that song is through The Simpsons. Oh, right. Okay. Because <laughs> I've never bothered to listen to it. <sighs> well, to be fair, I suppose if this film does get more people to try out the music, I'm okay with it. Yeah. Although, uh, um... <laughs> That's a good clue for our next episode. Uh, oh, is it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Next, next week's episode is the last one of season two, isn't it? Uh, uh, yes, it is. Yeah. Unless we get so, a special so, duck. So there's a clue with Simpsons. Exactly. That's true. <laughs> Very good point. Uh, so if you're listening to this out of order and in the future, this will have meant nothing to you. No. Well, it'll be next in the list on the downloading. Yeah, exactly. Some, sometimes doing this, sometimes doing podcasts feels like time travel itself. You know what I yes. Mean? Uh, so there's that. Okay, so we so between you saying four percent, I'm saying nine percent. Both have their relative <laughs> numbers. <clears throat> but don't you dare, don't anyone dare think we think this is forty nine percent historical because it's not even. Um, yeah. But I did have a, a blast with it, and I yeah, um, it was a fun film, and yeah. If you want to watch something that's just put on nice rom com, you can go. You can do a lot worse. Yeah, yeah, and I. And, but also, I think it has occasional food for thought. Yeah. Uh, around its subject, it just doesn't go very far or very deeply into it. Yeah, well, it turns on our inner backseat historians because we want to know more. We want to know what's going on, but for other people, I guess it's just. Yay, Beatles songs. Yeah, true, true, true. Well, I'm I'm glad it got done. I'm glad hmm. it saw the... Uh, despite the kind of controversies around how it was made, I'm glad it saw the light in the form it has, and I have a lot of time for it. Um, I suspect what the, it's, a lot of that has to do with it being Danny Boyle working on a, you know, a Richard Curtis story rather than, um, rather than it being just a Richard Curtis piece or, or any of those aspects to it. Um, mm. And certainly, it, it, as, as we said already in the episode, I already said it, you know, I know people want to, you know, you, if you've been listening this far, you know why I like it, believe it or that. Okay, folks, <laughs> uh, Jenna, where can people find you online? You can find me at Nadesco Kitty on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find me writing for the Bunkerzilla blog occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, what was my last thing? Oh, I put up about, um, what was it I put up about? I wrote something and I can't remember. That's what fine. It people, was. people can go and have a look at it at bunkerzilla.co.uk. Yes. I uh, am currently writing um, a article on Hey Dougie. Right. <laughs> and then I last last thing I posted on there before this episode would be for Hustlers of Culture did a review of recent British uh, straight to video action movie I Am Vengeance Retaliation. Uh, which we did an accompanying podcast um, in Hustlers of Culture, interviewing the writer, director, editor of it. Um, so you can check that one out as well. Um, and uh, you can find me at 48 Consultancy on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can reach us at um, Real History uh, underscore UK on Twitter, Real History UK at Facebook. Mm. And please, if you like this, uh, like, subscribe, leave us a review, buy us a coffee at yes. coffee.com forward slash 48 publishing um, and we will talk to you very very soon 
Yes. See you soon. Bye. Bye.